0: we are doing a Read Your Bible series. Now, uh, around here, we don't do things, what are you? What do you call it, traditionally? Uh, we're not that traditional. We don't do things consistently, traditionally. Oh, I'm not talking to you, Siri, okay. Uh, we don't do that that much traditionally, but we have kind of done the Read Your Bible stuff in the summer. That's just tended to be what we've done. And this year, when we were really kind of praying through the year, it just sort of worked that we were like, you know what, this just works better at the beginning of the year. As a matter of fact, we started looking at it and said, we would love to do a gospel and walk our way as we read through the Bible towards Easter. And so that's what we're gonna be doing. That's why we chose to do it now, all right? So if you've never been up, this is a real quick recap for anybody who's not been a part of our church and you're brand new, all right? We walk through the primary goal of this series is for you to read your Bible on your own. All right, we're going we're to go through some stuff like we normally do, but our goal for the series is for you to pick up the Bible, you to open your app, you to have the discipline to do this on your own. And we try to give you a very simple acronym that helps you walk through how you can do this, and it's called SOAP, right? Everybody read out loud what it means. What does that stand for? That's right, the scripture that you choose to read. What is the O? Observation, right. And then what's the A? The application, and P is prayer so' that's, that's what we're doing very simply. now we want to give you a couple tools uh, to work through that. first and foremost no we're going through the Gospel of Mark okay so first and foremost just let me know the Gospel of Mark. Um, just, just so you know the author of this book is John Mark. We believe it's Peter's primarily account through John Mark as a disciple but he wasn't one of the original 12. It's one of the earliest gospel accounts that we believe exist in terms of the earliest manuscripts that they can find uh, copies of. And we want to challenge you to soap through, okay, read, observe, apply, and pray, soap through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark between now and Easter. We think if you just did about 25 verses a day, uh, starting tomorrow, you can get through it right before, well, I think it's good Friday or the Saturday, uh, right before Easter. And so, Um, Whitney, uh, in our office, she actually created these for you. She printed these out in our office. They're really cool. These are free for you, anyone that wants one. It's a soap journal. It goes in here and it literally breaks it out for you. Okay, scripture, application, observation, prayer. And we want you to take these with you today. They're a limited supply, but we'll print some more next week if you guys really want them. Um, We also have some really nice handmade uh, leather journals that you can purchase back at the cafe and the only reason you have to purchase it is because we purchased them uh, to support missionaries in Nicaragua. And uh, there's a little card that tells you, it's a free trade uh, product, so there's a little card that tells you who handmade this and what it's for and how it applies to you. So we encourage you to do that. That's our goal, again, is for you guys to do it on your own. I mean, we're going to preach and do what we normally do, but the goal of the series is to what? Read your, Read your Bible. That's right. Read it again. The, what, what, say it again. What's the goal of the series? To Read your Bible. Read your Bible all right? That's a win for for us in this series. Um, We're not going to be going through the book of Mark like we're asking you to soap through, you know, chronologically or from beginning to end. We're actually going to be looking. We decided to look at Mark through the eyes of Jesus' teachings, and we're going to do it through the study of parables, all right? Study of parables. What are parables? Well, parables are short stories or Uh, stories with a message or stories with an illustration with a point, right? Matter of fact, here's the definition of a gospel parable in terms of Jesus' parables. They're usually short, fictitious stories that illustrate a moral attitude or a religious principle, right? Or both. (laughs) They're, They're a moral attitude, a religious principle, and they're usually short, fictitious stories that Jesus would use as illustrations or stories to sort of get his teachings and to get his point across. And so uh, as we look at them, we're going to talk about which ones are found in more than one gospel, the synoptic gospels, like which ones are found in in these accounts. And and sometimes they're going to be, like today, we're looking at one that's in three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But sometimes we'll be looking at a parable that's only recorded in the book of Mark. Today, we're looking at the parable of the wineskin, all right, the parable of the wineskin. And again, you don't have the TV, but I'm going to go ahead and just start reading. I'm going to be looking at two passages today, just to let you know from a scripture standpoint, the S. Two passages, Mark 2, where we're going to look at the parable, and Galatians 5, where we're going to be looking at the early church and how were they doing, right? How were they doing with the principle that Jesus taught through the parable in Mark 2, right? So that's what we're going to be doing. All right, Mark 2, 18, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Well, Jesus replied, look, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. Okay, that's just an easy, it's one of those, uh, what do you call those questions that you're not supposed to answer out loud? Yeah, rhetorical. That's, That's Jesus' rhetorical question, right? Like, do you you celebrate when the groom's there? Like, do they fast and not eat? No, of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. He says, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. All right, so just very, I'm going to briefly pause here, understands that people are looking at sort of how Jesus is running things. They're looking at how Jesus is doing things, and it's different. It's different than what they see in the Pharisees. It's even different than what they see with John the Baptist and John the Baptist's disciples. So they're different. And, and so they're just kind of like going, Jesus, why, why don't you do that? I mean, fasting was a pretty common thing in the Jewish culture. It was about repentance and, and mourning and kind of a temp, you know, waiting for the, the uh, Messiah to come and kind of mourning their position and their, and, their, and their lot where they're at as, as, a, as, a, as a culture, as a people. And so Jesus says, yeah, but they're not going to do that right now All the groom, you know, does does the people do it when the groom's present? No. And he kind of associates his, they're not going to do that when I'm still here. But there was, you know, not that fasting's not a good thing, like fasting's necessary. There's going to be a time when I'm gone and fasting will be coming and fasting will be there. And then he goes on to give the parable because this is the setup to the question that was the setup to the parable. In verse 21. besides (laughs) who would patch old clothing with a new cloth for the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth leaving an even bigger tear than before he goes on and says but no one and no one puts new wine in old wineskins for that wine would burst the wineskin and the wine and the skin would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Right? Now, I understand just right away, this parable loses a little bit of kind of common understanding today. All right, Now, some of you guys are old enough like me, and you get this, and you understand what it's saying when it talks about patching clothes. All right, All the millennials and Gen Zers and so on and so on, for some reason, you pay more if there's holes in them right? But I still remember, like I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember my mom, you know, taking my rough and tough jeans, remember those, you know, I'd tear a hole through them and then she would try to, at that point, she was ironing patches on, you all know what I'm talking about, ironing patches, which didn't make any sense because if, if the jeans couldn't handle what I was putting them through to begin with, an ironed on patch wasn't going to do any good, you know, it came off at least a couple weeks later. But we used to repair clothing, that's what I'm trying to say. Right? We used to repair our clothing. And, and this time Jesus is saying, look, there, is a, there was a practice of this, but they also knew, look, you can't take a brand new piece of cloth and put it on an old, worn, you know, try to sew it into an old world clothing because they're, 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 they're not compatible. They won't work together. Same thing as when he said about the wine. Again, we, if I were to walk up to you with some leathery bag with a cork in it, and had liquid in it, and I poured you something and said, take a drink, you would say, no, (laughs) right? Okay, because that's not how we drink wine. That's not how we drink anything. (laughs) And yet this again would have been such a common thing to understand the wine skins, they were basically like goat goat, uh, animal skins in terms of sewing it up, making a watertight pouch and then they would put wine into it, and wine would sort of continually ferment, and as it did, it would expand. And so the, the, the wineskin would actually expand with it, and they would be considered an old wineskin if that wine had been sitting there long enough, and Jesus is saying, look, you guys all, this is a common thing for the people he's talking to. You guys would never put new wine in your old wineskin, would you, and they would all be like, of course not, why? Because they know that not only do you ruin the wine, it's gonna, you're going to lose the wine, but you're also going to lose the wine skin that could be used for water or something different for a period of time and would have both been a waste. So this again, this is we lose a little bit of it, but it's, it, it's a very, he's speaking about this in a very common way to his people. This illustration would have really hit home. Now I do want to go ahead and make a quick note that Luke... Okay, in the Synoptic Gospels, Luke records a sentence, a follow-up sentence from his eyewitness account of something that Jesus said right after the parable. Okay, right after the parable. kind of tied to the parable, but right after the parable, Jesus. Luke records a sentence that Mark doesn't record, but I think it's important to read. And again, when you're when you're reading, it just kind of depends on what you look at. I wanted to just share mine. This is this is obviously not my pocket version. Um, this is the, my chronological life application study Bible, which I just love this Bible. So when I'm studying or doing a lot of reading, this is what I use. So for example, how I know this is I w- went in here and I looked and when I began to read through this parable, I would read Matthew's account, Mark's account, and Luke's account, right? I would read that together. And that's where I noticed, oh, wow, and I had to read a little bit about why Luke had this particular verse in there so i just want you to share like it doesn't matter what you're doing you can use your phone you can listen to it but um you know there's some advantages to some of this reading in different translations uh reading chronological bibles i mean this is just one of my practices here's the verse this is luke five thirty-nine. i did lie to you i said it was only using two verses but oh well this is still the one story okay at the very end when he said look new wine or for new wineskins the in luke's story he says this jesus says But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. No one who's drinking the old wine seems to want the new wine. And this is in quotes, the old wine is just fine, they say. The old wine is just fine, meaning it's sufficient. It's all I need in terms of the the word. All right, so here's a couple observations that we want to make looking at the parable. And again, we're going to introduce more scripture because sometimes when you're reading scripture, um you know god will maybe prompt you to go read something else okay and that's okay especially today we're going to talk about like here's the parable that jesus gives us why is it that we struggle with this and then and then you're prompted maybe to go read and again we're going to use the church in galatia as an illustration of why were they struggling with it right here's the common understanding you can't put new wine and old wineskins and everybody would have been like right You can't patch, you know, your old garment with a brand new piece of cloth. Right. And this is Jesus' parable teaching them after they asked about why isn't your group, your disciples, doing all the rituals that the Pharisees and John's disciples are. So here's the first observation that I have is just this comparison from new to old. And it's not simply a, you know, again... Sometimes we do this in our modern culture. It's not just simply an old is bad, new is better, right? Or old is wrong, right? And new is right. It's not It's not something as simple as that. He's talking about new and old in terms of how you handle it. How do you handle what is old? How do you handle what is new? Because how you're going to handle it, it might be different. Jesus basically said, I didn't come to patch your old religious system up, right? He came to bring something new. But that new thing can't be slapped on to the old thing. That new thing, you have to handle it differently. It's gonna require new systems, new behaviors, a new understanding. He's not just talking about new being good and and old being bad, that's not the message he's trying to get across. He's saying there's something new, I'm doing something new, And it's going to require something different to put it in. It can't be in your man-made temple model system. You can't just patch this new to the old garment. Yet the Pharisees, just like, again, they were all rigid. You know, they were rigid and hard like the old wineskins. They couldn't take the new wine. They couldn't accept it because it couldn't be contained or controlled by their man-made efforts. Luke wants us to remember that they thought the old wine was just fine. It was sufficient. It was all they needed. And for whatever reason, and I believe personally this is is one of the biggest tools of the enemy. Okay, this is one of the biggest tactics and strategies of the devil. Is to try to get Christians, and he did this from the early church to now. Try to get Christians to constantly find a way to take Jesus... And his teaching and his and his way of uh, his ethic and his way of doing things and to patch it or to try to fit it into an old temple system religious model you're gonna see this is what we deal with even today and yet we're also gonna see this is what they dealt with in the early church so immediately we came to mind for me anyway, was Galatians 5. This is a a passage where Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he's specifically addressing kind of this old new thing that they're, they're struggling with it. They're struggling with kind of how they live this out. And I just think this is a beautiful passage that illustrates for us the continued observation and application of that parable. So in Galatians 5, 1, I'll just read a few of these. So Christ has truly set us free. He's already made the case for the blood of Christ and what Christ has done for us. He's he's done that in the first several chapters. He said, look, Christ has set us free. Now I want you to make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are, what's the two words? Counting on circumcision. If you're leaning into, if you're trusting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ is of what? No benefit. You don't need Jesus, is what he's saying. If you you are going to put your faith in this action, then Christ doesn't do you any good. I'll say it again, this is verse 3, I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, You must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Basically, Paul is saying, you want to follow one rule? Fine. You got to follow all of them. You want to pick out this one because you think it's super important? Fine. You don't need Jesus, and you got to follow all of them. If you're trying to, this verse 4, if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ, and you have fallen away. From God's grace. I'm telling you, this is a message I could honestly spend the rest of my life teaching. If I were to, for whatever reason, leave Journey Today and, and uh, close this chapter, I would spend the rest of my life just going to churches across this world and just, just teaching Galatians 5. It's one of my theme verses. It's one of the things that just fuels me. Because when you are set free from Jesus Christ, it is such a tool of the enemy to get us enslaved again to some sort of religious, legalistic system of understanding. And then we try to take all the commandments of Jesus and shove it down in to our religious system. Paul tells them this is not going to do any good. This is not going to do you any good. And I just wrote four things that I, I kind of find to be true of the old religious systems that still exist today. Paul knew that this was going to happen. He's trying to warn the church, don't do it. Don't try to patch your old garment with a new cloth. Don't try to take the new wine and put it in old wineskins. There's a problem here. Not only is it for you is there a problem, but there's going to be a bigger problem at stake. Here's what I wrote down. Old religious wineskins. What happens when we try to take new wine and shove it into old systems? Well, leaders become self-righteous. And I'm not talking about just pastors, I'm talking about leaders in the church, Christian leaders. Because we change the system to be something we can control and that benefits us, and we become self-righteous as we view others. Followers become hypocrites. Why? Because they're taught to say one thing, but they live a completely different way, and it's okay. They're taught to say one thing, but they live In fear, they live in man-made systems that are hypocritical to the gospel they preach. This is a bad one. The text will get manipulated. What's that mean? It means that you're going to approach the Bible the same way you approach anything else in life with a confirmation bias. I will read scripture until it tells me what I want to hear. I will read scripture until it proves my point. I will find the scriptures that line up with how I think and feel, right? We're going to make text, we're going to make the text, the sacred word of God, be basically self-serving. And because of that, people will be mistreated. And I hate to say this, but there are more religious institutions today that fall into this category because they continue to try to take Jesus and slap it to some sort of religious system that they can control, that they can manipulate, that they can use a, a, as a way to leverage things for themselves, and what happens? Self-righteous, hypocrites, manipulated, and people get hurt, people get mistreated. Where do you think church-damaged people come from, right? This is a real real thing, and Paul knows it. Paul is—that's why the warning, guys, is so stern to the church in Galatia. You've been cut off from Christ. You are making a—you are trying to do something that cuts you off completely from the grace of God. He says, "Look, it's all or nothing. You can't have the temple model. You cannot have this old religious system, and and Jesus, in terms of his freedom, at the same time." Go to verse five. We, but we, but we who live in, in the spirit eagerly wait to receive our, the faith, right? We, were, we eagerly wait to receive by faith this righteousness that God promised to us. Why? Because it was given to us by Christ. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, right? That's not going to matter. The only things that count is faith expressing itself, what are the word, two words there? Through love. Now, is he really saying that it's the only thing that counts? Not in the big picture. But just like the commandment of Jesus where he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum it all up to one thing. and says, I want you to love others the way I loved you. That's it. That's the law of Christ. That's the way it's talked about in the New Testament. That's the law of Christ. Everything else is going to fall into place if you love other people the way I love you. The whole law is going to be fulfilled in that command. And so here's Paul just kind of reiterating, like, look, this is what this looks like. Your faith lived out through love. And so the next observation that I had in this was that really, again, going back to kind of why we struggle, is, that, is this truth, faith and maturity, faith and your spiritual maturity is truly determined by how much one loves and not by how how much one knows. It really is determined by how much one loves, lives it out, embodies, versus how much one knows. This is one of the few areas in life that I get really frustrated with the educational system in our country. In terms of the group educational system, because I believe that's another one of the tools of the enemy is to kind of bring that system into Christianity, to bring it into our faith, that it's somehow that how much you know, how much information you gather, what, you know, how much you can hoard for some reason translates to righteousness, translates to spiritual maturity. And yet all the commandments, all the behaviors, and all the things we're called to do are viewed as suggestions, right? They're viewed as like, well, if you can get to that, I mean, I know the Hebrew word for this, and I know the Greek meaning of this, and I've studied Romans, and I've studied this, and my knowledge is there, and and, and it's self-righteous, and it puffs up. Because that's what the Proverbs tell us, right? The knowledge is gonna puff up my pride and my ego, and it infiltrates the church. And yet, here's Paul reminding them: look, it's what's being lived out. It's your faith expressed through love that counts. It's not, it's not because you think you know this and have followed the right tool, you know, right religious system in your life. It's your faith expressed through love. That's what counts. Verse 7 says this, you are running the race so well. This is Paul. Uh, It's kind of Paul trying to encourage them. Church, you are running the race so well. who, Who has held you back, right? Who's held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. It certainly isn't God because he's the one who called you to freedom. I get really sick of Christians blaming God for things. Okay? I get really sick of Christians blaming God because their life isn't as free as they want it to be, and it's not God's fault. Okay? He's the one who called you to freedom. So every time you have that question of like, why, is, why, is you, why are you experiencing this in your life? Why are you feeling stuck? Why do you feel in a rut? Why do you feel like God's not really coming through? Why do you feel like your prayers aren't being answered? I can promise you, it isn't God. Okay, because here it is, he's like, look, it's not God. God's the one who called you to freedom. God's the one who wants you to experience all that he has for you to experience in Christ. And he says, no, no, this, this, I want to know, know who held you back. I would even say, what is holding you back? This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Okay, this, this little thing about, well, you should just be circumcised. It's not going to hurt anything, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it might. (laughs) It's one of those things where you're like, look, you know, we, we, Jesus was a Jew, you know, this is, I mean, what harm does it do to follow this one Jewish custom? And Paul, again, just because of the, the weight of this says, look, you, you, you think it's just one little thing, but this, this teaching, this false teaching is like a little yeast that's gonna ruin all of it. Why? Because you can't put new wine and old wineskins. You lose the wine and you lose the skin. They're both lost. Skip down to verse 12. <laughs> just to show you how angry Paul is. He says, I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate or castrate themselves. Yeah, that's in the Bible. (laughs) Paul says, you know, I just wish they'd just just go the whole way. Why? Because he knows what a danger this is. He understands the importance of, look, you cannot hold on to these traditions, these old religious wineskins... And fully be able to taste and see the greatness and the wonderful grace of the new wine. It won't work. So another application, and this is where I am. i just tell you, this is how it works for me. God always prompts me with a question. Whenever I'm reading something, I'm, kind of, I'm, you know, I'm usually prompted several questions, but there'll always be a kind of a standout question. And so when I was reading this and I was thinking about the principle that Jesus taught, I thought, you know, how, how simple is it for him to teach a story like that? And then I'm watching the church in Galatia struggle. And then Paul asked the question, who's holding you back? And that was the question that sort of just sat with me. What old wineskins are you holding on to that are holding you back. Look, we all suffer. (laughs) This is true. We all have just a little bit more legalistic legalistic tendencies in us than we'd care to admit to anyone else. Okay, We all have, especially if you were raised in church, guys, if you were raised in church, we all have a little temple model in our hearts. So what are you holding on to that is actually holding you back? rules that we can control, texts we can manipulate, we can make us feel better about ourselves, we can compare ourselves to others, because it's not hard to find people who aren't as spiritual as us. What are you holding on to that's holding you back from experiencing this new wine, the fullness of grace and understanding in Jesus? I promise whatever you're holding on to is holding you back I promise you it just takes a while to think through what does it mean what why why right why would I struggle with this well here's how I'm gonna end it this is in verse 13 in Galatians it says look you've been called to live in freedom right this is the calling of God on your life my brothers and sisters But you don't use that freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, right? It's not self-serving. Instead, you're going to use it, right? You're going to use it to serve one another in love. How many times is that repeated in Scripture? We're going to use it to serve one another in love. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping the one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Everything's going to fall into place. When you really begin to live out what is commanded, not simply what we think is suggested. So, the application I have is that look, the old religious wineskins give us a nice, warm, fuzzy sense of what we're entitled to. Gives us a nice, warm, fuzzy sense of what we're entitled to. I belong to a church, I'm saved, I punched my ticket to heaven when I was a kid. You know, I have a community of faith of people who believe the same, have the same values or at least similar values to me. And as I operate in this life, what I'm primarily focused on, because I live in those old religious systems, is how does it benefit me? How does it benefit me? How does coming to church this morning benefit me? How does, being a, how does being a part of a group benefit me? Because if it doesn't benefit me, I'm not going to do it. How does serving benefit me? How, how, does, how does this knowledge today benefit me? Because that's what religious systems do. They keep you and I fixed on how it benefits us. It's using the freedom that we've been given in Christ to satisfy our own nature, versus when you see the challenge, it says, "No, I want you to use your freedom to serve those in love." I want you to understand the fullness of the law, not not get nitpicky about which laws you think are most important. I want you to understand the fullness of the law is fulfilled when you simply love others the way I loved you, when you love your neighbor. As yourself. And that really does become the challenge because our new wine, this new relationship that we've been given and gifted to by Jesus comes with incredible responsibility for that. It's a, it's a responsibility for other people. It's a responsibility for us to serve them, for us to love them, for us to forgive them, for us to have grace with them. It's not It's not for them to do for us and serve us. It's for us to serve them. This is what Jesus taught. And all we want to do sometimes is take take what Jesus taught. Oh, we're supposed to love one another and it's supposed to be great and we're supposed to experience freedom, but I want to control kind of my life and the systems by which I approach God and the way he works for me. And we're going to, I'm telling you, the enemy wants us to be so fixed on what you and I are entitled to in our spiritual lives versus the much harder thing, which is to look at the faith we've been given and the freedom we've been given and ask God, saying, look, what am I responsible for? Because what we're responsible for is pretty significant. And then that passage in Luke makes so much more sense to me. That passage in Luke makes so much more sense to me. When Luke adds that phrase, that part of Jesus' story, it says, no one drinking the old wine seems to want the new one. The old is just fine. The old's just fine. And I'm just here to tell you that you might be one of those people that you sort of hear the information, but deep in your heart, look, religion's been working out for you. Self-serving religion has been working out for you. You haven't bursted too many wineskins, as far as you can tell. Hasn't caused that big of a problem. It's working a little bit into your favor. And right now, you're sort of cruising. Everything's fine. Oh, everything's not perfect, but it's sufficient. So I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. But for some of you, the challenge today is going to be, don't settle for that. Don't be one of these people who settle for the old wine and the old systems and an old religion when there is freedom and there is grace and there is the fullness this of what, what I called you to. Are we responsible for a great deal? Yes. But there's no better way to live. There's no better way to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. to serve others in love and to love others as he's loved us to love our neighbor as ourselves so that's the challenge today and when you pray because that's how we end right soap we read our scripture we see the observations we, we we consider the applications of the text and then we pray and for most of us in the morning depending on how fast we do this sometimes you know, the prayer is just like, oh man, gosh, I'm still late. I should have started earlier, God. Thank you so much. You know, God, you're good. Um, just, just, just make all this apply to me. Just, just make it all sink in, you know, hit your head with the Bible a couple times. And, you know, and then we just sort of truck on, right? We just sort of move forward. That's what we do. And that's okay. I want you to, no, it's just natural. But, as you pray and soap through Mark over the next several weeks, and as we all move towards Easter and we even take a simple challenge like this, I really want you to think through where where am I in this? how many How many old, ragged pieces of clothing am I clinging on to? Okay, We all have that shirt that we wear on laundry day, you know? It's the most comfortable thing you owned. You got holes everywhere. You know, your spouse gets angry if you wear it outside. You know, I'm not saying that works in my house. I'm just saying we all have it, right? How many old things are you just clinging to because they feel warm and fuzzy and cold? Because it, it helps. It serves you. It's self entitled. That's holding you back from the new wine, from the freedom in Christ that He wants for you. That's my prayer today for you and for me. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. We approach you by your word with the challenge of a story and an illustration that we don't really get in our modern context. But we do understand it spiritually. We understand it that all of us have a little bit too much legalistic, rule-driven, Self-serving nature in our hearts, especially when it comes to religion. How many times we leave this place with the thoughts of what I got out of it this morning and not necessarily what I brought to you. So, God, I just I just pray you convict our hearts. You challenge us by your word that we would really consider how many old wineskins we're holding on to that is holding us back from freedom in you. God, for everybody here and watching online, that might be a different, you know, that might be a different answer in their own life. And God, I just, I'm trusting by your spirit that you're working through every single individual instance and person, that you're not just revealing and convicting, but you're also empowering. You're also giving them grace You're not filling their hearts with shame and guilt. You're giving them grace and helping them understand what they can do, the freedom they can have, even when they embrace what they're responsible for, serving one another in love and and living out the great commandment. Again, Jesus, it's only by your Holy Spirit that we can acknowledge the truth of where we're at, but also by your Spirit We pray that you'll give us the power and strength to take steps into freedom, steps towards you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.